Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Autism podcast with me, Michelle Davey, and with my co-host. Hi everyone, it's Christelle here. Hi Michelle, how are you? How are you doing? Very, very good, Christelle. How are you? Two days in with no children at home. Have you hung up your homeschooling boots? It is hung. They are hung, should I say it? Hung, hung, hung. But I am also sometimes going to work. So, but today I'm at home and it feels so good you know I love my children to bits but it is nice to have some of your own time and um you know what will make it better what some sleep (laughs) you've been doing like a sleep clinic though if you Christelle tell us a little bit about that you're telling me a little bit about it but like sleep therapy with your son yeah we've started sleep therapy because I don't want him to be on medication for the rest of his life to help him sleep Um, how long has he been on medication Chris I think just about a year around a year I reckon but I don't want him to be like dependent on it we also know there were some days where he wouldn't have the medication and he'd sleep quite well but i did want to get some help so i looked online for any sleep therapy they might do in my borough and i did find a group called i think they're called scope like i could be wrong but i think they're called scope they do the sleep therapy so it's a six week program we started last week you know what how can i say it? it's basically things you already know but pattern differently that's that's how i would describe it you know you have your own schedule of how you do things and it's kind of they kind of do the moving around and kind of teach you the psychology behind it so you will say oh I, i used to do that i used to do that oh so this is why we actually do this does that make sense so it makes a lot more sense and obviously it's not all smooth sailing the first day was a dream yeah. <laughs> so deceiving yeah did you think so, yes uh, i've got this oh my god he went to bed seven thirty, which has never happened yeah. yeah or when it has happened he would be up by 12 so he went to bed seven thirty. woke up six forty-five. what i was like are you joking so already did myself up for failure because I already trusted the process by then. I was like, yep, day one, smashed it. And then day two came and he slept 7.30. Awesome. And then he woke up at 3.46. I said, what is this? What what, time? What's going on? And you know what? He wouldn't go back to sleep. Wouldn't go back to sleep. Went back to sleep at half past six and woke up at 7.30 so we could get ready to go to school. But now he's grumpy for school and he's tired and he has been consistent with that 3.46 wake up. So they're like, don't give up. We will get there because obviously they're trying to push him to get to the 12 hours. So it's not taking the medication at the moment, Chris. If you stop this first week, we are doing the medication. We're going to wean him off. Right. Okay. But it is, oh, it is hard, honestly, because, you know, they say to you, don't let him come in your bed. If he comes to your bed, get up, take him to his bed. And oh my gosh, it is, oh, and it, it sometimes is difficult. you're too tired, didn't you? Like, um, my it. youngest son, he's, he's not autistic, but middle son is, obviously. And I always think, like, we got into the pattern. It's only been, he's only just turned four, and we got into the pattern. He was always in our bed, and we've only just the last couple of weeks put him in his own bed because it was just impossible because they share a room. Like, if I took the boss baby back in to the other room yeah. every single time he called into bed with me, he would then wake middle son, and that's then they'd, they'd all be up. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Well, that's it. That's the nightmare of it, isn't it? Yeah. Especially if they're sharing rooms. It's not just about, it's not as simple as just putting that child back to bed. Because no. that child now wakes up 
the whole family. <laughs> yeah. Even if we did uh, have big fancy houses with um, our own living quarters, Christelle, you'd still be too tired <laughs> to be transferring child to, like, sometimes I think in all, I think, right, keep putting him back in his own bed, picking his back. And then when it gets to, like, the eighth time, and then your eyes are just like. I know. I don't even, I'm so tired, I don't even feel him sneak in in the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, he's like 007. You're like, oh, how did he get here? But, yeah, it is, it is, honestly, it is so tiring. But I'm trying to stick to it because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about us. It is for their benefit in the long yeah. run. Does that make yeah. sense? So yeah. that is what gets me to stick to it. And they give you, you know what? I'm going to try and get the website because they have so many helpful tips on sleep, on how to relax your child and what to do if your child wakes up, like things like massages or food that, how can I say, food like that helps. Yeah, foods to give your children before bed that help with sleeping. I had celery. Avoid. Have you ever heard that? Celery is like got some sort of like weird sleeping agent in it. Oh, really? I don't like the taste, but I'll, I will take it if it helps. <laughs> We're trying anything. Get rid of celery. But they gave me a recipe for flapjacks. They're called sleepy flapjacks. I don't know why really? they're called sleepy fla- flapjacks. You better check but the I recipe some... <laughs> yeah, probably have melatonin in it. <laughs> put loads of melatonin in the flapjack. Put a CBD oil. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but I put I, I made some of those yesterday. So tonight I'll be giving them some if they like it. I like oh. them. They were they were nice. Um, I'll give them some of that. But we'll, I will give an update. So what went week. into it then? What the flapjack? The sleepy flapjack. <laughs> Normal stuff. Oats. <laughs> what is it? Oats, ripe bananas, peanut butter, and honey. Oh really? I wonder why they're sleepy then. I know, that's what, but that's what I was saying. What's the sleeping agent? Because I swear you can, have flat, you can have flapjacks in the morning. That ain't going to be very productive if you're having oats and banana <laughs> and peanuts. That's why I have them sometimes in my porridge. No wonder I can't yeah. keep going. Imagine. But yeah, I, d- I done that those last night. So I'll let you know how it goes yes. right now. But I've just, the trick is when he goes to sleep, I have to go to sleep fairly soon. Yeah. But the first night when he did go to sleep at 7.30, when I sat there, I said, oh, my God, is this how normal people live? <laughs> the peace, the quiet, alone time. I felt like a grown-up. Did you feel like a new woman? <laughs> I felt like, a, honestly, you think I'm joking. When I woke up that next day, yeah, I felt like, a, I thought, this is how normal people live. <laughs> this, this is how it feels. But, and then the next day, it was blown out of the water. <laughs> yeah. Then it was like, yeah, here we go, back to reality. Yeah, Crystal, you know never to get used to this. <laughs> Not for oh, now. But we'll see. I'll let you know. Every week yeah. I'm going to let you know how it goes. Cool. So today, Chris, we're speaking to the charity shop mother on Instagram. Her name is Rachel. She's here to tell us about her battle for her son's EHCP, which I know okay. is a big topic on the podcast before, EHCPs. Yes. And we are going to also be talking about the sort of things that Rachel believes shouldn't be posted on social media. Oh, interesting. Right, let's get Rachel on. And welcoming on to the podcast this week, we have got Rachel from the charity shop Mother account on Instagram. Hiya, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rachel. Now, you're here to speak to us about autism, of course. I hear you've had a particularly tough-going battle with EHCP plans. Yeah, don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) So would you like to tell us a little bit first about your son 
yeah, your son's diagnosis story, I suppose. So my son is 12 now. I noticed something that I thought was different about him when from about 18 months, but my family just constantly kept saying, it's a phase, it's a phase. I was a nanny before I had my son. So I sort of, I worked in preschools, etc. So I did sort of know, like you, you just know, don't you, in yourself. Um, but I just sort of let things go. And then once he got to nursery, I started noticing even more um, differences. Even then the nursery said, no, no, you know, we think that it's, you know, it's just the way he is, it's his personality. So once he got into reception class, then things started to sort of show more. And then finally his teacher came to me and I said, oh, I've been thinking about maybe autism for quite a long time. And she just sort of shook her head. So it wasn't until he was five that I started the process and then he didn't get his diagnosis until he was seven. They said that his his paediatrician basically said, oh, he's not, you know, it was, he wasn't clear cut and they just kept sending me away and I just knew that there definitely was, you know, did have autism. And so, um, yeah, we went back a couple of times and then on the last time she basically just diagnosed him then and there and she actually apologised. But he he was in school and he was okay until he got to sort of the end of year four. I mean, he, he had his struggles in school and there was definitely situations, but his teacher was quite good. But then he got into his last and final class. It's quite a small primary school and into year five and his teacher was just hideous to him so then problems really started to arise and it got really serious to the point that he escaped school and then he had severe anxiety and it would take me 45 minutes to even try and get him into the car did you have an ehcp in place i take no, it at this point no. no so at this point is when I started, I'd already discussed it with the school previous and they said, no, you haven't got enough evidence. The Senko's only in the school once a week anyway. And she was pretty pitiful. No, no, no offence to her, but she just, she just wasn't listening and wasn't helpful. And so I got to the point then where I was like, right, I'm going to do this on my own and I'm going to reply on my own if you're not willing to help me. So I gathered all the evidence. I went to the school and I said that I wanted all the instant reports, which I didn't want me to have or to see. Um, And I had to sign multiple forms. And then I had a friend who has got an autism Facebook page. And I went to her and she is amazing, Kim. And she um, helped me. But I'd probably say it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever, ever done. Yeah. I was just Not- about to ask. It must have been so tough because you said it took the two years for him to get diagnosed in the first place. And it seems that there was like a lack of support. So just tell us, as a mum, you know, as an individual, how hard was that journey? It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I've been through quite a lot, not to get into personal things like, but, you know, my mum passed away when I was 21. I've had sort of multiple things. And I can honestly say that this, like, mentally draining, so Mm. draining. And to see my son just disappear in front of my eyes, you know, from the child that I knew to then, you know, being happy to go into school to then actually physically he was I was in the school and he was just 
he was fighting to get out and there was like five teachers in one room trying to restrain him to get out of the door it was so terrible and you Mm. sort of lose yourself as well as a person don't you I just want to make clear as well that I spoke to Noah last night because he's 12 and I told him that I was going to discuss you know things about him because I always now as well that he's older I always make sure that he's okay about me sharing information about him so yeah, yeah, I know that's something you uh, wanted to speak about as well, Rachel, and we've come on to that. So yeah. I think it's, it's really something, yeah, that does need to be discussed. But I was just wondering, so with the EHCP process, you're doing all of this yourself. You know, your son's having an absolutely horrendous time. You're having to, to watch this. But I suppose at this point as well, you can't then take him out of school, can you? What I did is I kept him on roll and I tried for several months to keep him every day. It was a fight and he would be, it got to the point where he'd go in for two hours. And then the final straw was, is when I got him home and he'd um, pulled a lot of his hair out and that he'd sat in the cloakroom for the two hours And then another day, the head said that he had sat near the front door of the school when they'd locked the door. He was just at the door, laying on the floor near the door, waiting for me to come and pick him up. It got to that point where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I said, you know, you can find me whatever. I'm going to keep him on roll. But mentally, he's not well enough to go. So I went to the doctors and... um, they said they can't legally sign him off, but they wrote a letter to say that the school needed to do more to support him. And then I also had an attendance officer come to the school, but she said that she saw that he desperately wanted to be in school, but it's that he mentally and physically couldn't. Yeah. So that there was nothing that they did. So I kept him on roll to sort of show that his attendance, that sort of helped with the evidence as well, I suppose. That must have been so tough just seeing him in that state. And what did he understand of it all? Did he realise and what did he understand from that? Yeah, so when he got the diagnosis when he was seven, I was totally, I've been, tra- we, as a me and his dad have been transparent from the start and we told him straight away what Noah's very... He's so, so bright and he's very with it. He knows what's going. Yeah, we were open. I sort of, I know it's an individual journey, but for us, it was really important for us to be transparent with him about it and just feel like, because we wanted to make it, that's his own identity. And it wasn't something to hide. It was sort of something to sort of celebrate in his own way. So you moved your son ultimately out of that school. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. And to a specialist school haven't you I have now but you yeah, needed but... the EHCP to do that yeah so I had him at home nearly two years wow <laughs> yeah just about yeah just about one year eight months I think it was I had him at home while I was trying to get the EHCP and then once I finally did obviously then there's the fight to get a school yeah. Um, so then he started this September. And how did, how does he seem since he's been at this new school? Have you seen any improvements? Or? Yeah, yeah, he's he's gone from a child that wouldn't get in the car for 45 minutes that now gets in a taxi at 7am every morning to be taken to a school an hour and 15 minutes away from his house. Mm. So, you know, it's just, it's shocking, like how different 
he you know he is he's in a class of 11 children with one teacher and two LSAs and um, it's a re- it's such a good school because Noah's so bright as well. It was really important for me to try and find a school where he could complete GCSE. Yeah. So um, they do all GCSEs at his school as well. So awesome. And how is how different is special school from mainstream school? It's huge. It's like I mean I think with his primary school it was too small and originally I thought that would be the best thing for him because it was quieter and it was like a smaller community but you know I really actually think it was probably not the best thing I think he probably needed a Senko that was there you know and that the school were more supportive and understanding because they weren't aware of children really with autism so with no school now, it's just, it's brilliant. It's, it's so amazing. And how, how they are, even the smallest things they do. Like I got an email last night asking about his dietary requirements because they want to give every child an Easter egg. Like just little things, you know, like, and just the, the link book to just constantly praising each child of what they've been doing every day and constantly checking in and calling you to, you know, see how he is and how he is in school. And it, it's, it's just brilliant. It's so brilliant. Yeah, it does sound amazing. And it's good to hear that he's doing a lot better. Yeah. yeah. yeah lovely, sure lovely news. <laughs> just so happy for you all that he's uh, got his place there and things are a turn. Yeah. Now, Rachel, yeah. going back to what we were saying before, we've had a little discussion about this ourselves, and uh, it's, it's a sort of bugbear, I suppose, in a way. And we were talking about, and I've seen this quite a lot actually on our Instagram accounts, and I know me and Christelle was talking about this, and there's quite a few other accounts that sort of put it out there as well. Is the sort of the social media accounts for parents with autistic children, which that whole Instagram community is fantastic, isn't it? Like, yeah. Like it is fantastic. There's so many supportive people and people in the same boat as yourselves that you can can create a, a connection with. Mm-hmm. But also, there are some accounts that we're gonna have a rant about. <laughs> so I let you. I let you take it from there, Rachel. <laughs> Do you know it's not just social media accounts to me. Um, I joined a couple of a course when Noah was first diagnosed. It's like it's a well-known lady in our area that started this course and it's now huge even pe- the pediatricians sort of like give you the leaflet for the course and I found that when I went to the course and a few of the groups that a lot of the parents as much as they needed to talk about how hard this journey is as in we're all on this similar and it's a really it can be so challenging I found that they sort of took the identity of their child on themselves and made it more about themselves than their actual child. And I felt that sort of didn't sit very well with me and I felt quite uncomfortable because ultimately, yes, it's it's really hard as it can be so hard being a parent, but it's the child's identity. And I find that a lot of parents sort of want to make it about them. <laughs> instead of their child I don't know if you're in agreement or or not but that's what I personally experience I would say that uh, something I know a lot of other people are sort of posting about this at the moment is the posts where people are videoing a child having a meltdown or in some sort of distress and that again is making that about yourself as in 
I think obviously I can completely empathize with that person and what they're going through but I don't think it should be something that's open to the world then maybe personally you need to be supported by someone and find support but I mean I think there's been times when you know Noah was going through really hard stages that I've been on Instagram probably being in tears after support but I've never been to the point of posting or talking about seriously you know personal things to my son and I I just think that's a step too far in my opinion (laughs) I guess also it's I think it's a matter of perspective as well how you see things um I'm trying to tackle it from every angle here yeah um but I think sometimes some parents might just see it as a release um that yeah as you said the diagnosis is for the child um but the the parent is also on the journey with the Mm -hmm. child and they're having their own experiences so they might just need an outlet where they say oh my god guys look what happened today look look what's happened to me but i do understand also what you're saying it it includes the child so that from that privacy point of view you know should we be shielding um our children from such exposure um it is a it's a difficult one to be honest with you it's difficult to know where to stand on that to be honest i think as well you got to think though is what i always think is like say we were kids and our parents were putting on that we'd done something at school or we'd done something you know that they weren't happy with uh things like that would we then as adults because this social media wasn't about when we were kids So now this social media is going to be about, you could go back and see someone's highlights from 2021. So if I put a picture of my child potty training or whatever, and then 2000 and whatever, 30, they're going to be able to still be able to see that. And all their friends are going to be able to see that on their highlights. You know, it's, it's it's gone from going around to your, your mate's house and seeing a baby (laughs) picture of them on the wall to, or getting someone getting the photo album out when you, you you bring your boyfriend home and your mum gets your old baby photos out to mm. actually just having those photos readily available for anybody to take and not just people that you might be embarrassing. We're talking about weirdos and anybody that could take those pictures, aren't we? So it is to do with privacy settings as well, isn't it? A lot of it, you know, the, the somebody's accounts are wide open for everybody. I think maybe as well because my son, like he's twelve and he's a he's a really big. He's like fighting about as tall as me now he's like five foot seven and he's 12 (laughs) he's a really big boy and I think as well maybe because I can see that part of him now being older and embarrassment and obviously he's going to be going like there's puberty changes and different things like you said he's going to look back on certain things that I could have potentially shared that now friends on social media could see like you're saying and be like oh my god your mum said you did this or oh you, you, you know and I just think I think at the time say when a child's like maybe three or four and going through different stages in autism that is probably more when parents seem to overshare but now because I've got a different perspective of Noah being that much older I think I've definitely made maybe mistakes and now I can see it and I always make sure if I post a photo of Noah I always make sure I get his permission and I talk to him about it if I share anything but that's just you know that's my personal choice that doesn't mean that's the right or wrong 
I do know, agree so. with you. I think um, age does ma- does matter as well because obviously yeah. I think there's times where us as parents we post things because I post some things because I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. And back even though like Michelle said, times have changed. Now we have social media where you know things stay on the internet for basically forever now. But it's kind of the same with our parents, even though they didn't have social media. My mum, to this day, I'm 35, but she still tells embarrassing stories about <laughs> things I've done when I was younger. But I, I guess it just depends on the child as well as the individual, how they're going to take it. I think each parent kind of knows their child. And as you said, your child is older, so you are able to discuss it with him. Whereas our children are a bit younger, like mine, he's four, he's going to be five soon. Yeah. And plus, on top of that, he's nonverbal at the moment. So I would just kind of post what I see fit does that make sense as a yeah but I I think after today I would take it more into consideration how my child would feel especially in the future if it's something that's going to be you know like a digital footprint so it is good for food for thoughts thank you Rachel it's been a a brilliant chat I'm so happy to have had you on today and shared your story and I I know it's going to help lots and lots of people out there but where can we find you on Instagram the charity shop mother (laughs) lovely (laughs) oh thank you so much Rachel it's been brilliant thank you so much thanks so nice to meet you guys thank you That was Rachel from the Charity Shop Mother on Instagram. Great chat, Christelle. Lots of uh, opinions flying about there. <laughs> yeah, very You'll have a good debate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it was really good, actually. It did make me think. I didn't really think about stuff like that. When I post things about my children, I, I just post it because I think it's hilarious. You don't post a lot, though, do you? No, I don't kids. post a lot, but I think I post mostly things maybe on Snapchat because it's more personal. It's more to do with the people that I know. I don't really have people on my like snapchat and whatsapp yeah i don't have people that i don't really know if that makes sense so i feel more free to share things when it comes to doing my children but on the social media platform a lot of the time i don't post things about my children just to protect them against you know um like things like child trafficking and you know them kind of thing yeah predators because i'm learning more about those things i think it's just a matter of opinion really but um there's private things that anything to do with their body parts like them going toilets toilet and things like that I wouldn't post personally or them getting upset as well I hate those videos where people post about being people upset you see I swear to god right if I was crying and distraught and someone stuck a camera in my face all hell would break loose (laughs) (laughs) but no it's been great today Christelle I have got to shoot off but yes I'm sorry but we could we could chinwag all day but I'm looking forward to next (laughs) week and I think next week as well you're going to tell us a little bit about your EHCP journey so far as well and yes hopefully you'll get some sleep as well Chris oh pray for me I always do right I'll speak to you later Christelle Christian girl (laughs) (laughs) all thanks Catholic school bye (laughs) bye (laughs)